Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything is a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by middle grade and young adult fantasy author, Annalise Avery. Hi, welcome Hello. to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I spoke over you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, you have a brand new book coming out and it will be out by the time this episode airs. It's not out right now. The Immortal Games, 11th of May. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so The Immortal Games, um, basically, when I started writing it, well, I'm sure we'll talk about how it, how it all came about, but I'd been watching Squid Games, um, and also um, Elon Musk was kind of just in the beginning of buying Twitter. He was just thinking about it. And so when I had a little chat with, with my lovely editor, Yasmin, at Scholastic about things that we could write, and they said, we'd really like you to write a uh, like a Greek retelling. And the thing that they wanted me to write did not fill me with joy. So, so as we were having the conversation about, you know, what I could possibly do and how they'd like me to have astronomy in it, but... Uh, like most people, astronomy and astrology gets confused quite often. Um, this whole kind of idea for the for the you know all of the things came together. So the Squid Games and the fact that you know people who are incredibly wealthy or have a lot of power they they always tend to do such frivolous things with it, like <laughs> by social media platforms uh-huh. instead of like helping people and drives me nuts. Um, so all of these things kind of like fell together in my head, and I thought, okay, what if the gods of Olympus? They're really bored. They've got nothing to do. Twitter doesn't exist. They can't possibly buy that. So every time there is an eclipse of the moon, um, they decide to do the thing that they do best, which is basically just mess around with humans and make their lives a little bit more difficult for their own entertainment. Um, And they play these games, these immortal games, where they select a teenage token to um, represent them in the games. And then they set them quests. They set them a quest and they're a tasks in the quest and and they just watch them get picked off until one of them is left as the victorious winner of the games and obviously the god that supports them they're the winners too so that was 
like the whole idea just kind of plopped into my head in in one go and that's the kind of premise of the immortal games these epic games played by the gods and our main character ara she is desperate to be selected as one of the tokens of the gods because her sister was selected five years previously and she died in the games and ever since then ara has wanted revenge whoever wins the immortal games gets to ask the gods for a gift and she would like to ask for a thunderbolt or a weapon that is capable of killing zeus Mm -hmm. a classic revenge story classic revenge tied up with the greek pantheon indeed (laughs) that sounds great I mean, if I imagine if the pitch was similar to that when you went to the publisher, I'm sure they were right on board straight away. <laughs> well, I did uh, when I did the pitching because because I'm you know an old person. I did <laughs> I did throw in the kind of like Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans mm-hmm. um, from like the old Ray Harry Houseman era, yeah. uh, which I absolutely loved watching as a child. And there's a bit um, I think it's in uh, Clash of the Titans when when they do like place. Um, no, it's in Jason of the Ar- Jason of the Argonauts. Um, Hera places like a, a, a kind of like Neptunian type god, uh, Poseidon thing on the board, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I like that. The idea <laughs> of the board and and the characters all moving around. Yeah. So this is um, from that pitch. You might not know it, but this is being billed as a as a young adult romanticy, there yeah. is a, 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 a romance going up through the thing. And romanticy, uh, for anyone listening who's not um, sure what the word is that I'm saying, is the fusion of romance and fantasy, um, which is very big at the moment, especially because there is a lot of popularity around the tropes contained within it. Are those sort of, do you think about tropes while you're writing? No, not really. Like if they come along, I'll try and do them justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm a massive pantser, uh. I, ne- I never, <laughs> I never really know what's going to come along. And and to be honest, I took my pantsing into like a whole nother level with this book. Oh, really? So. Um, so when uh, we had this chat, me and Yaz, about what I was going to write for the third book, it was in. Um, a, let me think. It was just before. It was March, the end of March, just before the NaNoWriMo started in April. And um, and I knew I had a really, really short delivery time because Scholastic wanted something by the, by my, like by, the, by August, I think it was August the 8th or something was my delivery date. So um, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to have as much fun as I can have with this so I took about a week to get myself an astrology book because I, I, I love astronomy I am an amateur astronomer I helped to found an, an, um, an astronomical society um, about 10 years ago but you know my astrology knowledge is quite limited so I got myself an astrology book and I had a little through, look through and I looked at all of the different star signs and I had a look at you know, the traits. So that did kind of help me to build characters. So in a way, this is the most planned thing I've ever written from that point of view. So I had each of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Um, and then um, I, I love collecting images on Pinterest. So I went on to Pinterest and I just collected lots of uh, kind of AI face generated images that I could then use to attach to, to a person. Then I um, found a name for them. And then I 
went and got some D12 dice. Um, okay. So, uh, so some 12-sided dice. One that had uh, all the signs of the zodiac on it and one that had um, different planetary symbols that correspond to to the Greek gods. And then I just basically picked a god and rolled the star sign symbol to see who was going to be matched up with which god. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> I already knew who my main character was going to be uh, matched up with, but everybody else, it was like open season. So I just rolled the dice to see uh, how, you know, how that was going to fit together and the dynamics of their relationships. And, and it was quite interesting having already picked which character traits from the star signs I wanted for each of the characters, um, then seeing how that would, you know, mix with my my image of what the, those individual Greek gods were like. Um, and then as I wrote the book, I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to play it like it's an actual game. So the rules of writing it were every time I put my characters in peril, I would roll the dice and play the game and see who was going to perish and who was going to, uh, you know, be in a bad situation, who was going to. So in the game, there is like they roll for advantage, disadvantage. So I did that each time there was um, a little kind of a trial within the quest. And the rule was that unless it was my main character, like that was fine. That it, like I had to abide by in place. Yeah, I had to <laughs> abide by the rules. And it got to about halfway through the book. And I rolled the dice and um and I was like, Oh, I really like that character. I really don't oh, no. want them, I really don't <laughs> want them to die. So then I rolled the dice again and I was like, Oh, I really like that character. I really do. <laughs> and I realized that actually I liked them all and it was gonna be difficult, so I just killed them both. That's um, good though. Yeah. Because <laughs> so yeah. also I'd set up the rules to the game and by not abiding by the rules, I felt like I was kind of um being untrustworthy with the story mm. and mm. you know not trusting it to, to come out the way it was supposed to be and to be honest ara did come up once um when i rolled and i didn't kill her but she she didn't have a fun time <laughs> oh okay she got punished for coming up on the roll <laughs> yeah so she she came up on the roll and uh and then she yeah she she definitely suffered in that trial <laughs> so, oh wow as as someone who plays tabletop rpgs at dungeons and dragons more nice. than I be to most people that sounds like you kind of wrote this book with us with a side of of sort of D. that's kind of how it works you know rolling to you set up a situation and then you roll to see the outcome exactly yeah it was pretty much like that that's um, awesome and i definitely i had i just had so much fun writing it and yeah. and i wrote it so quickly so um my write, writing process is a little bit scary for some writers um i like to write a first draft and and i always think my first draft is basically me telling myself the story mm -hmm. um the vomit draft as some people call that yeah i like to call it my dirty zero so, <laughs> yeah close enough <laughs> yeah. Um, so i'll write it and then i'll throw it away and then i'll start again with my proper, uh, yeah. my proper draft. Um, so I wrote the first draft for, for NaNoWriMo. Um, and then I, I put it, I'd, I'd finished it just before the end of NaNo. So like I put it to one side for a couple of days. And then I wrote the actual first draft um, in six weeks. Um, okay. 
And then I sent it off to Yaz and we did a little bit of editing, mostly like strengthening the love triangle um, Mm. because I didn't quite realise when I was being romantic. Uh, (laughs) There was a bit when she read it and she was like, oh my God, Annalise, that bit. (laughs) <laughs> it's so, so hot and steamy i was like really she's like oh yeah so okay <laughs> um, <laughs> so we did a little bit of work and then um then it went to copy edit and my lovely friend nikki marshall was the copy editor um on the book and yeah it was like it was just such a joy from beginning to end um yeah. And I, I hope it comes across the, how much I was enjoying myself. <laughs> I think so. Um, I think it definitely does. It comes through in the writing. Um, you can sort of tell how invested you are in the the universe and, and the, the kind of um, setup that you've built in all the characters. Yeah. And most of it, I, like, because I pants and the way that I pants, I, I don't know that things are going to happen until they happen. So, like, when the triple-headed sand snakes turned up, I was like, Hang on a minute. <laughs> Where have these guys come from? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just things like that. They're just, they just happen. And I feel like I'm, you know, um, experiencing the story for the first time yeah. as much as the reader is. Um, That's very much the joy of being a, a pantser or a discovery writer is the thing happens that your kind of subconscious brings something forwards and you weren't expecting it. And you say, well, oh, wow, how am I going <laughs> to get around this problem? Yeah, definitely. And sometimes your subconscious brings you delightful problems to get around. Um, yeah. When I when I'd written the first uh, Dirty Zero, um, I wrote the end and I didn't like it. And then uh, I wrote the end again and I wrote the end again and I still didn't like it. And then when I wrote the 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 actual first uh, you know first draft the proper first draft the ending did change and it changed to the ending that it needed to be. But also a lot of other things changed in that first draft so uh in the draft zero it was written in um third person and all the way through and then when i sat down to start writing the first draft ara had she'd had about three or four different names in the draft zero because i just couldn't find anything that that fitted that was her and my wonderful agent helen boyle she came up with like uh, we came up with like a list of of celestial names and Ara is a constellation, a southern constellation. And she was like, Oh, what about Ara? And I was like, Yeah, I was kind of I like it. I was umming and ahhing about Ara. Um and as soon as I gave her that name, she just she she came to the front and that was it. It was her her voice that oh, came okay. out. It's and stuck. then yeah, and then when um I wrote the the chapters with the gods, although it's um, in the third person. It does come from like Hades POV, and um, I was definitely like deeply into the characterisation as I was writing, because there was one point where I was on a dog walk with my daughter, and I turned around and said to her, "Yeah, so like Hades was talking to me the other day," and and I didn't quite realise there was another dog walker who just gave us a really <laughs> wide berth all of a sudden, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And my daughter did say, "Like, Mum, you can't you can't be saying things like that out in public. It's just not it's just not appropriate." <laughs> that's funny so this the immortal games is your as uh briefly mentioned earlier your third published novel um previously was the two night silver books uh had you written anything prior to um your debut the night silver promise 
Um, so I'd written like things that are like, you know, you're under the bed books. Um, and I'd written things that I thought, because at the time you think they're great. Yeah. Know? So I'd written things that I thought were great. Um, and I'd uh, done a master's degree in creative writing and I'd written a couple of um, audio plays that I really enjoyed. Uh, and I'd written an adult novella. Um, so I'd written a few things, but um, but when I started writing for Night Silver, again, it was another nano project. I sat down to write nano and I'm so, so glad that I didn't write the thing that I'd, I'd planned because I thought, okay, I'm going to plan this and I'm going to write it out. And I'd planned to write a book about... <laughs> It was about a basically a pandemic. So I'm really glad that I didn't write that book. Yeah. Um, You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And I sat down to write that. And my daughter, my eldest daughter, she um, came down the stairs looking a bit steampunky. And I was like, oh, okay, that's quite nice. Um, And... And then I just got this vision in my head of, of Paisley Fitzwilliam, the main character of uh, The Night Silver Promise, um, standing on the top of her, her family home, looking out through a telescope at a comet. And I knew that the comet was really important. And I could hear like this um, kind of a, a tap and a cling and a tap and a cling. And I knew it was her brother, Dax, and he was sitting on the chimney, whacking his legs against the masonry, as small children do. Um, and I knew that one of his legs was in a caliper. Um, and then it all just kind of like poured out from there. I knew that the reason why he had his leg in a caliper was because it wasn't a leg at all, not a human leg. It was a dragon leg and that that was really dangerous because uh, there's a prophecy about a dragon-touched boy. And uh, also I knew that the the place where, where Paisley lived, um, they believed that they lived in a clockwork universe. There was this um, astronomical kind of theory during the Enlightenment times that, that we lived in a clockwork universe. And I thought, oh, what if, what if that never went away? What if people actually believed that we lived in a clockwork universe? Then the stars and wherever they are would be extremely important to this, to this civilization. Um, so then I thought, okay, so where, wherever the stars are at the moment of your birth, that gives you your destiny. And if you believe that everything is made out of clockwork, then, then your life is a track, a clockwork track. Um, so that was kind of, again, another big confluence of ideas, just lots of different things that I'd collected coming together. Yes. Um, I believe that's how, um, Brandon Sanderson writes a lot of his worlds is that he, he always puts down loads of notes for cool ideas he has in books. And then when he has a big one that kind of has traction and he starts working on it, he starts referencing his smaller books with all the little notes and kind of cool ideas that he had and sees which one he can fit in. Yeah, just pulling them all together. Yeah, exactly. And, Very yeah. cool. And I think it's a, a bit like a snowball. Once you yeah. once you get enough momentum, 
they just gather more and more like-minded ideas towards them. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, oh, but if this, that, if this is that, then that means that these things are this. And then the, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start talking to Hades out in public. And then you start- <laughs> <laughs> so was it through, uh, was, was the Night Civil Promise, was that, did, was that through submission that the book that you found your agent with, Helen Boyle? So um, I actually won Undiscovered Voices in 2020. Oh, Scooby, uh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. So I'd um, I'd been working on The Night Silver Promise with the, with the Golden Egg Academy and, um, and it went out on submission and the, the feedback that came back was, oh, it's a little bit too complicated. And, you know, and I was like, okay. So I knew that, the undiscovered voices was coming up in in the in the June, so I did what I do best and I threw it away and I started again. <laughs> and when I started again, that's when I made it slightly more complicated. That's when I added in this idea of destiny and the fact that Paisley's destiny um, had she had not received her destiny then, um, and everything just kind of slotted together after after that so um so yeah I, I wrote the whole thing and then um I remember I remember after I'd finished writing it I went downstairs to my partner and I said to him I've done a thing <laughs> he's like what do you mean you've done a thing and I was like it's a thing I've I've written a thing and he was like oh okay um and I felt really confident about it I felt like you know, there was absolutely nothing else that I could have done to that book to make it any better. That doesn't mean that there wasn't things that needed to be done to it, but it was just <laughs> yeah. that I couldn't have done yeah. anything yeah, yeah. else with it. Um, yeah, so I was lucky enough to be shortlisted for Undiscovered Voices, along with 11 other amazing people who I'm still in touch with because they're just, they're just brilliant. And I always say that, um, in winning Undiscovered Voices, the gift that I didn't know I was getting was all of the other people that won with me because we're just, yeah, they're just fabulous. Um, and so uh, I was lucky enough to have a couple of offers of representation. And um, oh, amazing. Yeah, and then I signed with with Helen. Oh, who, amazing. Who's just, she's just brilliant. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> yeah. That's good. I mean, it's it's always good to hear when when authors have a good relationship with their agents. <laughs> it's a very important relationship, and it's good for it to be strong. Yeah, and I and I always thought that I wanted an agent that I was a little bit scared of because <laughs> <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but like if um if I can get out of doing something, then uh. <laughs> I will. Um, but I thought if I'm a little bit scared of my agent, I'm never going to miss a deadline. And um, what I got was something infinitely worse because I never want to let Helen down. Oh, perfect. Oh, it's <laughs> just like, <laughs> so yeah, that, so that's kind of worse than being scared of her. <laughs> so. Well, sounds great. Sounds great mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> Going back to the books. So the, the Knights of a Promise and the, and the sequel, um, and the Doomfire, the Doomfire Secret. Secret. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Uh, middle grade novels what was it a, a sort of publisher push or did you always want to kind of try out young adult with the immortal games i always wanted to write a, a young adult book um 
I didn't know if I was, you know, I didn't think I was going to write one so quickly. Um, So I had a three book contract with Scholastic and the third book was unnamed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A.N. Other. Um, And then when we came to talk, you know, to have the conversations after Yaz had come back from maternity leave, um, they said, we'd like to pivot you into the YA market because that's growing at the moment um and we think that your voice would be really good for it and I was like oh good because I was excited about writing uh for YA so okay so it sort of happenstance combined with something that you thought about doing anyway yeah just worked out worked out well I think oh and what's interesting (laughs) I was thinking is that so the the world of the night silver books is this uh and and you you kind of talked about it just then this kind of amazing clockwork steampunky universe that you've created you created and sort of built up and the world building and that you you speak very passionately about the world uh it sounds like it was a very big part of that process was it then sort of um did it feel like you hit the ground running doing immortal games where you were jumping into the greek pantheon with like a mythology that's very well established already yeah in a way because uh, i did feel like some of the groundwork was done for me <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um but there were you know i kind of wanted to take what we have what we you know all of the the different um you know plethora of stories that we have not just from greek mythology but that people have you know taken and interpreted in their own way and just use it as basically as that as like a basis but not necessarily being too strict with everything i didn't you know because there are so many different different accounts of different myths that sometimes contradict each other anyway um one of the things that i was really uh, drawn to was the idea of a Hades who was a pacifist. Uh, yeah. Quite, yeah, I, I thought he spends so much time with with humans, with humans of deceased and humans that will no doubt be lamenting their demise and the fact that they are no longer living and they don't get to see their families and they don't get to experience life. That um, he'd probably have an attitude towards life that it was quite a precious and fleeting thing especially for him because you know he's immortal and we're basically mayflies <laughs> yeah so, yeah it actually reminded me a lot of um neil gaiman's the sandman his sort of attitude towards the whole thing okay yeah i love neil gaiman's the sandman oh yeah just um, amazing yeah and i can definitely see you know there is parallels between dream and and hades anyway with the you know the dreaming that hades is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know has has control over and hades uh, always is as well as often often given the you know the the bad end of the stick he's, he's often cast as the villain in lots of these sort of interpretations like clash of the titans has him as the villain uh, animated Hercules has him as the villain, although I love him in that. Um, so it's nice to <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, I, I tried to pay a little bit of homage to the uh, <laughs> animated Hercules with, with, by giving him piercing blue eyes. Oh, okay. Um, he has that <laughs> character blue wise. flame. <laughs> yeah. It's very different character wise. But character wise, <laughs> yeah, that was the only bit, just the blue eyes for the, yeah, for yeah, the yeah, blue yeah. flames. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, um, that's cool. And, and obviously, you know, there's so many different interpretations of the of the Greek mythology and the pantheon and how it all interacts and stuff. So it's always fun to to get a new one. Um, so the big question, 
um, as we head into the twilight of this episode. Big question. Uh, I know that writers are always working on something new. Um, and I don't know if you'll be allowed to tell us, but if you can, are we, can we expect more Night Silver or more Immortal Games? Oh, neither. Neither. Okay, neither. We're, we're done. Something new. <laughs> more, more neither. You can, yeah, something new. Okay, amazing. Um, which I'm really excited about. So, um, I I say I'm excited about all of the things that I write. I really don't see the point in writing something if you are not having fun and it is not joyful for you because yeah. we put so much of ourselves into our writing and so much time and so much effort and um, it, yeah, it makes me feel a bit sad whenever I read accounts of of authors saying, you know, oh, it totally destroyed me to write it to write this, and it's like, yeah, yeah like I can understand a challenge. Challenge. Like there are bits in my books that I've definitely found challenging to write, either from an emotional point of view or, you know, I, I've never been able to get through uh, Night Silver and Doomfire without crying at the end. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's still a joy because yeah because i've got that you know it's that payoff it's the it's worth it, it in the end yeah right? it's worth yeah. it because it's um but yeah when when people say you know i cut myself open and i bleed on the page i'm just like oh gosh quick get yourself a bandage yeah i hope they're not writing children's books they're writing <laughs> picture books that's what they're writing <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> oh the idea of writing a picture book does um fill me with fear um, so hard and it's so competitive so, so difficult and yeah. it's just like i can't do anything in less than a million words so like, <laughs> even my, yeah. you know, my emails are longer than most picture books so. yeah stick to fantasy you get yeah. loads of extra words in fantasy <laughs> and i do, uh, yeah and i i do absolutely adore writing fantasy you know that that is my happy place mm-hmm. i don't i don't I, yeah i don't want to write anywhere else yeah, um, yeah, yeah i know what you mean i'll yeah. probably only ever write fantasy or uh, maybe i'd think about like doing sci-fi but it would basically yeah. be just uh fantasy but with a technological skin instead of magic oh, yeah okay so night night silver and doomfire i often think of them as science fiction masquerading as fantasy yeah because they're steampunky aren't they yeah because yeah, there is yeah. this kind of like sciencey underpinning of things and i love creating book bibles for my stories okay and uh, so in my book bible for uh, the celestial mechanism series there's like all of these little hyperlinks for, for my editors and anybody else who needs to access oh wow you know, that the sounds world. great <laughs> and in the hyperlinks it's got things like uh this is a dyson sphere and this is how oh, entanglement cool. works and this yeah, is yeah, how, yeah. um just because those things are like even though we don't talk about them in the mm-hmm. book they're the basis for how the the world you know how the world is built this is the yeah. it's the groundwork so i think it's really important to know where your base is and i think that's why i, I was able to write the immortal game so quickly because my base was already there i yeah. just had to yeah, yeah, yeah. i just had to run on it so yeah i think with fantasy people say well building's like a, it's like an iceberg where like you only see like the top five percent of it or whatever and yeah. the rest of it you just never hear about and then the 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 pitfall is people try because there's so much world building people want to like show you all the world building and then that 
plugs oh, up the story. Oh, old building like disease. Whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other issue. This is this is why I throw my first drafts away because my first, <laughs> my first drafts are always full of me basically geeking oh, okay. out about things, and yeah. um, I feel like if I throw it away, um, it's almost like I, I think of my brain as like a story sieve, um, and I think of the first draft as like I'm cooking pasta. So in order to cook pasta, uh, you need an awful lot of water um, and you you cook away your story, you you cook your pasta, it comes to the right temperature, you then drain away the, all of that water and what you're left with in your story sieve is all of the pasta, oh, um, all of the story. One. So So when I go to write... Uh, the first draft I've already got my pasta it's already there I've just got to like add the sauce and the meatballs oh that's great I love that analogy <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah what a great place to to bring us to the final to the final um, question of the episode which as always is Annalise if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book would it be okay so I had the answer to this question already for you amazing um it was going to be <laughs> um, Good Omens. The oh, recent, I yeah. love that book. <laughs> but then so I got good. COVID. <laughs> okay. And during COVID, I listened to Legends and Lattes. And okay. and it was such a comfort. <laughs> <laughs> and I like just fell in love with Viv and the whole world. So now I'm like, I, I'd love like good omens it, i feel like that was like for me the whole kind of package and it would keep me very entertained but there might be times where i just need a bit of comfort so okay <laughs> so i'd probably go for legends and lattes <laughs> legends and lattes is that by legends travis baldry yes yeah okay i'd not heard of it that looks great oh it was delightful it was just like yeah i was feeling really really rotten and um it helped me to feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> a novel of high fantasy and low stakes. That's apparently what it is. <laughs> it was just, it was just a pleasant read. You know, when you just like, yeah, yeah, it, it just felt like I was being wrapped up in a nice big hug of a story, and and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, well, it sounds perfect for a desert island. <laughs> yeah, indeed, uh, I'm assuming that like I don't know, I've got bear, bear grills with me or something. Otherwise, I would obviously bring okay, the bear grills. Quite an assumption. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, I, I don't know how to get off a desert island would be a good book. Otherwise, so um, yeah. yeah, 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 but not as cozy. So. Not as cozy, <laughs> and and on those you know really tough days when I've just had nothing but coconut to eat all day, um, uh, I'll you know, won't have legends and lattes, that would be sad. I guess that depends if you like coconut or not. Um, either True. way, um, <laughs> thank you so much, Annalise, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your new book and uh, and your old books and your kind of experiences through writing and publishing. It's been really, really great chatting with you. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Annalise is doing, you can follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Annalise Avery. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And to support us, you can head over to the Patreon. For more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Annalise and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.